Thank you so much. The VBS sounds, uh, looks so awesome. My two daughters were able to uh, volunteer and be part of it. They had to wake up earlier than usual, which was a little hard, but they loved being part of it. Thank you so much to Elder Susan, Veronica, our children's director, to um, Ginny and others, all the volunteers who were able to make this work, even in the midst of just uh, having to change things up, think outside the box. I think the kids really had a good time. So, so thankful for all our great volunteers and all our workers. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to be back preaching in a room filled with actual worshipers, with actual people. Um, I realized that the last time I did that, do you know when that was? February. The last time I preached in front of actual worshipers and people was February because we started worshiping virtually in March. And so February was the last time we had a full house and I I preached. And then March, before it was um, the week for me to preach again, is when we went virtual. So this is the first time that I'm back preaching in front of what you would call a live audience, but uh, actual worshipers. That's amazing. So much has happened since then. School's about to start. Can you believe it? Summer is pretty much over. Like, where did it go? I, I, I can't, you know, wrap my head around that summer is pretty much gone. Looking back over the past six months, it's hard to make sense of it all. It's hard to kind of um, be like, what the? <laughs> no words to describe it. Uh, the world as we know it has changed, and that is for certain. Things that, the, thing, the way that we used to do things, it's just really, really changed. And I want to say a lot of it, the change, has to do with suffering. It has to do with hardships. It has to do with difficulties. Um, physically, because of the health issues with the pandemic, um, the social unrest, um, protesting and whatnot, as well as just politically, uh, the politics that's happening that's really dividing our nation about wearing the mask or not wearing the mask, opening schools in person or not, just so many issues uh, dividing us, so much um, oh, suffering, um, experiencing pain, enduring hardships and difficulties during this unprecedented time. So it's in the midst of all this that today's message has come forth. It's out of my reflections on such verses as uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. This is on the screen. And so this is the title of my message today. It's God works in all things. and I'm going to be speaking about Romans 8, 28, um, and also 29, and all other verses like Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. So let's read Romans 8, 28. And it says, this is a very well-known verse, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, as I said, this is a popular verse. It's often quoted, but I think that it's also often misunderstood. Uh, Some people think that um, this is telling us that God has promised to all those who love him that everything that happens to them will be good. Because after all, we love him. And so he's going to make all things good for us. It's all good. And we know that's not true. We know that that's not what this verse is saying. I want to tell you this story, true story. In 1921, In 1921, there was a Swedish missionary couple uh, named David and Svea Flood. 
You see them on the screen. David and Zvea fled. And they took their two-year-old son, and they went into the very heart of the continent of Africa, uh, to Central Africa, to a place called Belgian Congo, which uh, later became known as Zaire. And along with another Scandinavian missionary couple, the Ericsons, uh, they felt that God, they had settled in town there in the uh, Belgian Congo, but they felt that God was leading them to the most remote areas of this Belgian Congo. And so they went out to this village called Nadalera. Nadalera, this village, very, very remote. And so these two couples uh, went out there, and the chief wouldn't let them into the village because the chief, uh, superstitious and all, was afraid of angering the local gods there to let these you know white folks come into the village. So they were... they ended up settling about half a mile outside of the village. They had to make their own mud huts. This is 1921. They had to make and build their own mud huts. And the only contact that they had with the villagers was a young boy from the village that was allowed to come out to them twice a week to sell them chickens, some eggs, and some fruits, some fresh fruits. It was the only contact they had with the village. Um, and, but still, Svea was able to lead this little boy to Christ. After a while, after seeing him twice a week for over a prolonged time, um, she was able to lead him to Christ. But basically, that was the only encouragement. That was the only progress that they really ever saw. Soon, all four of them, the Ericsons and the Floods, all four adults got malaria, and they became very, very sick. Um, the Ericsons decided to return back to the mission center, the base in town. But the floods, David and Zvea flood, decided to remain there um, with their son. Soon after, Zvea became pregnant, and she gave birth to a young, um, to a little girl, and they named the girl Aina, which is a Swedish name. But it was a very difficult delivery, labor and delivery, and she was already weak from malaria, and so. Yeah, bad news is that she died. Svea, Svea died two weeks after giving birth to her little girl. When his wife died, David, something snapped in him. Something just snapped. And he made this crude, he dug a crude grave. He buried his 27-year-old wife. And then he returned also to the central mission uh, base, the center in town, with his children, his newborn baby and his um, son. There, he gave his newborn baby to the Ericsons, um, saying to them, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this newborn baby. God has ruined my life. I'm done. And with that, David uh, Flood left, and he went back to Sweden. He was not only rejecting his missionary call, but he rejected God altogether. So it's true, when you hear this story, it's true. Terrible, devastating, tragic things do happen to those who love God, who have been called by his name. To pastors, to missionaries, to God-fearing uh, good Christians, terrible things do happen to good people to people who love God. And this is where Romans 8.28 comes in. To give a message of encouragement and hope to us. To assure us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's look at verse 29, the verse after the 28. Verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So this next verse here, it tells us, verse 29, what his purpose is. Let me read it in the NLT, the New Living Translation. 
And NLT says it this way, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So basically what this is saying is that God is working through everything that happens in our lives. God is continuously working in all that happens in the lives of those who who love him to help us become more like Jesus. That is the purpose, to help us become suffering for not just the end goal and, and suffering for in and of itself, but so that we could become more like Jesus. And no one knows suffering better than Jesus. Agreed? He really suffered. No matter what our problem or situation, if we love him, if we let him, Even the problems that we face can be part of this conforming process, this part of becoming more like Jesus process that God is putting us through. So I believe that there are three specific ways that God can use problems and sufferings um, in our lives. So when we go through hardship, when we suffer, when we have difficulties and there's tribulations, I believe that God can use these things in our lives, three specific ways. And the first one is, Okay, this is sticking a little bit. How God uses problems and suffering in our lives. The first one is to shape us. God uses it to shape us. The difficulties of life, whether it's big or whether it's small, they're not random freak accidents. They're not just a string of bad luck. They're allowed and even at times orchestrated by God. Think about that. They're allowed and even at times they are orchestrated by God to shape us for the purpose of making us to become more like Jesus. Let's look at Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. And this speaks right into this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, suffering is the first step here. It's the first step in this divine refining process. God wants us to be victorious in our suffering, in the suffering that we go through, that we experience. Because too often, isn't this true? We Christians, we seek a quick deliverance from our trials and hardships. The trials and hardships that are meant to refine us, that are meant to conform us to be more like Jesus, that are meant to shape us, but All we think is about a quick exit. All we think about is quickly being delivered from it. We don't want any of this. We can't handle any of this. And we just want a quick exit strategy, some shortcut out of it. Some of life's most important lessons are learned through suffering, affliction, and tribulation. And without them, I would say that it's difficult to mature in our faith. If you look at the great... um, uh, warriors of faith, the great heroes or, he- or heroes or heroines. If we, we look at um, great pastors and famous ones that we read about, um, even the story that I was telling you about this missionary couple, the Swedish couple, it's because of the trials, the hardships, the sufferings, the tribulations, um, the afflictions, the things that they go through that helps them attain to that spiritual maturity. James chapter 1, 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let it finish its work. But most of us, most Christians, we're not about letting it finish its work. We want it to end quickly, and it can't end soon enough for us. But here it says, let it finish the work so that we may mature, and it's got to complete. I came across this quote from a pastor, this uh, quote that I really, really liked that speaks to this as well. Even though you can't see it right now, God has been busy creating something breathtaking in you. He really has. Through everything you've endured, through that confusing situation that you're facing even right now. The problem is that you can't see what he's doing while it's happening. All you see are the wood chips flying. The chisels blow isn't evidence that God has left you or is angry with you. But rather, that God is right in front of you, eyeing your progress, smoothing the rough edges of the sculpture, patiently bringing the image of Jesus out in you. I'm always reminded of this poem um, that I read during high school or college. Pastor Q, I think it was during discipleship. I'm always reminded, and I think the title is something like this. It says, pruning hurts, Lord, but please don't stop. Pruning hurts, Lord, but please don't stop. I have scoured the internet looking for this poem. You know, these days you can find anything. You Google it and boom, you can find it. But this was in high school or college, so we're talking over 20 years ago. Um, and I have looked for it. So if anybody knows of, and heard of this poem, has a copy of it, um, is it? So, yes, thank you. Uh, I've been looking for it everywhere, and PQ knows where it is. But um, and again, you can guess what the content or what this uh, poem is about. Pruning hurts, Lord, but please don't stop. Many times when we're going through difficulties and trials, we're being pruned. I'm always picturing, you know, the bonsai tree being pruned and shaped. And you don't know the, what the final shape is going to be like, but you know it's going to be awesome. It's beautiful. And I mean, to get your branches cut and stuff, I'm sure, it, you know, it hurts, snip, snip and stuff, but it's beautiful. So pruning hurts, Lord, but please don't stop. A second way that God uses problems and suffering in our lives, I believe, is to correct us. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in a rut, right? Some of us are stuck in a rut, and God uses problems to change our direction. It gives us a new focus, gives us a new path, a new way forward. It isn't that we're doing something wrong necessarily. Um, it's not something that, it's not always that we're doing, we're in sin or that we're doing something wrong, but just that we need a new direction because we're stuck in some sort of rut. The positive side of crisis is that it offers an opportunity for change. Isn't that true? It's the positive side of crisis. It offers an opportunity for change. If crisis never hits, we would go on doing the same thing the same old way all the time. I feel like this pandemic, and because we couldn't gather in person, the crisis of not being able to gather in person has really changed the way we do things. There are things that the leadership of Hope Church have been talking about doing for a long time, like using the Church Center app, um, you know, improving our online giving, um, upgrading our equipment, maybe putting our sermons and our whole worship services live streaming, putting online. We've been talking about it actually for over a year. But because of the pandemic, it really just 
catapulted us into doing it. There was no choice about it. let's talk about it, let's talk about it, let's pray about it. Boom, you know, we, were, we had to do it out of a necessity. So crisis really brings an opportunity for us to change and do things differently, an opportunity that we might not otherwise have, have gotten. And then there are times, there are times when definitely we are doing something wrong. When definitely we are actually in sin. There's sin in our life. So God will use the problem, the miry clay, the difficulties that we're experiencing. God will use that to cause us to reflect on that and reflect on our situation. And God will use it to correct us so that we will do something different about it. One of the best known parables in the Bible is about the prodigal son. The prodigal son in chapter um, 15 of Luke. I preached about it on um, Father's Day, and you all are familiar with the story. The younger son asks his father for his share of the inheritance, and then what does he do? He takes the money and he runs off. He goes off and he squanders it. He wastes it in wild living. He just wastes it away, and then famine hits the land, and what happens? He becomes really, really desperate, and he has to find work because he's wasted all his money, and he finds a job feeding pigs. And while he's feeding the pigs, he's actually wishing that he could eat what the pigs are eating. That's how hungry he is. Now, he's really suffering now. He is really hit rock bottom, and he has hit his low point, because it doesn't get much worse for a Jew than to end up feeding pigs. And he's at rock bottom here. It all gets to be too much for him, and then you know what happens, right? Uh, He comes to his senses. He begins to correct his attitude and his actions. He recognizes what he's done wrong. He recognizes his sins, and he turns his footsteps towards home. He decides to go back home to his father. You know what I'm talking about. There are times when we are in certain situations where um, we just have to hit rock bottom before we'll change. I'm thinking about addictions you know, addicts. I'm talking about people who are just spiraling and just because of choices in their lives, uh, uh, things um, not being wise. And, you know, you watch your loved ones go through that. And sometimes it is so painful, but you have to let them drop to absolute rock bottom before they will change. So sometimes suffering is good for us. You know why? It gets our attention. It gets our attention, and it awakens our need for God. I'm sure more people turn to God when they're hurting and when they're suffering than they do when everything is going great, right? More people turn to God, you know, they cry out to God in the midst of suffering and anguish than they do when everything is going great in their life. So if you're having problem after problem after problem, maybe you need to ask yourself, and you need to ask God, if there's some area of your life that God is wanting to correct. If you're in a situation right now where just things just keep happening and happening and you're just like, why me and why this again? Maybe you need to ask yourself and ask God what it is. If there's some area of your life that God is trying to correct. Now, the third thing, the third way that God uses problems and suffering in our lives is to protect us. We see this illustrated in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite son. Story of Joseph. I can't tell if it's up there because it's not showing here. That's why I keep looking in the back. So the story of Joseph, it illustrates what I'm talking about here. 
And so Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite, which angered, of course, his siblings of all his other brothers. They hated him so much so that they, um, they sell their brother Joseph to a caravan of men that are traveling to Egypt. Life couldn't have been any worse for Joseph, but God had a purpose and a plan for him. God was always watching over him. God was always protecting him, although Joseph did not know it at the time right? And you're reminded of the story of Job and other great ones where things are happening to us, but we don't know why at the time. As we're going through it, it's difficult when we're in the midst of it to make sense of it, to see it for what it is, or to see even God in it. It's like that footprints in the sand um, famous poem as well. It's difficult to know and to see and feel God's presence when you're going through your most difficult times. Well, years later, during a severe famine in the land, if you guys know the story um, in Genesis, Joseph sees his brothers again. Because of the severe famine, his brothers are forced to come to Egypt to buy food to take back home. And of course, when the brothers show up, they have no idea that this Egyptian official that they are standing in front of is their little brother, the one that they had sold into slavery. Joseph reveals his identity to them. He's like, hey, it's me, it's Joseph, your brother. And the terrified brothers, they beg him not to kill them. Because, you know, they're afraid of his anger. And this is what Joseph says to them in Genesis 45. He says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. So through our problems and our sufferings, God may have a bigger and a better than plan a bigger and better than plan, and a purpose for us that we have yet to fully realize, that we have no idea of it coming, a plan and purpose to protect us. Jeremiah 29, 11 is also another very well-known famous verse that we quote all the time. It's the plans and the purposes that he has for us. It is not to harm us. It is to give us hope and a future. During this pandemic and not being able to meet regularly, Pastor Q and I have been doing virtual home visitations. We've been meeting online, uh, even during ministry time after the worship service. And as we've been praying for various ones, and people are, are sharing with us their concerns and sharing with us uh, their prayer requests and things that they're going through, this verse keeps coming up over and over again in my mind that God just speaks to me and tells me to speak this verse to these ones who are sharing their pain or sharing what they're going through, that God's plan is to prosper us. It is to give us a hope and a future. And you can take that to the bank. You can bet on that. And over and over again, God reminds me of this. So we must learn to trust God. Even when problems and hardships come, God will shape us. He will correct us. And he will protect us. Because he has promised that all things, that he would work all things for the good of those who love him. I want to finish telling you the story of David and Zvea Flood that I was telling you earlier on. So, 
as I ended with David, he went back to Sweden and he left his young baby infant girl with the Ericsons. Well, unfortunately, about eight months after that, the Ericsons die. They contract an illness and both uh, the husband and then a few days later, within a few days of each other, the wife dies as well. And so what happens is young Ina, the baby Ina, is given to an American missionary couple that was, always at, that was also at the base. And then the American couple, they changed her name from Ina, the Swedish name, adapted it uh, to Aggie, Agnes, to Aggie. And eventually when they left, they took Aggie back home to the United States uh, with them. As a young woman, she actually grew up and attended a Bible college in Minneapolis. She met and married a young man during Bible college. And then she and her husband became um, like pastors and they did ministry work. Um, her husband's name was Dewey Hurst. Um, they enjoyed fruitful ministry. Her husband eventually became appointed president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, Pacific Northwest. And one day, um, she went to the mailbox, and she saw a, some sort of a religious Christian magazine in her mailbox. She didn't know who put it there, where it came from, but it was all in Swedish. It was some sort of a Swedish uh, religious magazine. And she can't read um, Swedish, and so she didn't know what it said, but she was just kind of flipping through this magazine, flipping through the pictures. And then something made her stop cold. She came across this photo, this black and white photo, and it was of this crude um, makeshift kind of uh, a grave, and there was a white cross, and if you look closely, written on the white cross were the words, Svea Flood. And so she was like, what? And so she hurried up and she went to find somebody who could read Swedish and interpret or translate this magazine and this article for her. She found someone, and this is the summary of this article. It said, it was about missionaries who had gone to the heart of Africa to Nedalora, um, this small remote village. It was about the birth of a white baby and the death of a young mother, uh, about this one African boy uh, in the village who was led to Christ, and how after all the uh, white folks left the area, this boy grew up, and he was able to um, convince the village chief to let him build a school in that village for the children. The article goes on to say that gradually, all the children were one to Christ. They all became believers. Then the children witnessed to their parents, and the parents all came to know Christ. Even the chief of the village eventually became a Christian. And today there were over 600 believers and Christians in that village alone. But that's not the end of the story. It gets even better. There's more. So for the Hearsts, um, Ag Aggie and her husband, Dewey, for their 25th wedding anniversary, they were gifted a trip to Sweden to, uh, for vacation. And when she went to Sweden, she wanted to find her real father. And so she searched and searched, and she was able to locate him. She found that he had remarried when he went to Sweden, and he had four more children. So she actually found and met up with her half-brothers um, and sister, her siblings, and she asked, is my dad, you know, how is he? And she found out that basically he had wasted his life away on alcohol. He became an alcoholic, miserable person. Um, recently, he had a stroke, and she said, I want to see him. Where is he? And the siblings said to her, there's only one family rule, and that is you can never, the men never mention the name God around him. It's forbidden. Never mention the name God. And so she said, I want to go see him. And she does. 
And she goes to see him, and he's 73 years old now, and he, you know, recently had a stroke, so he's all, you know, disheveled looking, and he doesn't look good. He's, you know, lived a life of uh, an alcoholic, and when she goes to see him where he is, he's not looking well. And so when she tells him who she is, and he looks up, and he realizes who um, she is, he starts to cry. And he says to her, I never meant to give you away. And then she says, as she's wiping his tears, she says, it's all right, Papa. God took care of me. At the mention of the name God, her father's whole face, you know, he stiffens and his whole demeanor changes. Um, And she says and tells him, I have a story to tell you. And so Aggie tells her dad the whole story about the uh, article in the magazine. And she explains to him, God did not ruin your life. Mama did not die in vain. You did not go to Africa in vain and bury Mama there. Today, there are over 600 villagers who have come to Christ. And they continue to talk all throughout the afternoon. And by the end of the afternoon, her father, David um, Flood, came back to God. The one that he had resented for decades, he returned to the Lord. A few years later, the Hearst uh, went to an international evangelical, uh, international evangelism conference in London, England. And when they were there, there was a report given about the nation of Zaire and how God is working in that nation. It was a very eloquent man. And he gave a report saying that he represents over 110,000 baptized members strong uh, in his nation. Um, and he gave a report about how the, na- um, how the gospel is continuing to be spread in his nation. Immediately after his report, of course, Aggie sought him out. She went to see him, and she eagerly went to him and said, have you ever heard of David and Zvea Flood? They are my parents. Have you ever heard of them? And this is what he says uh, to her. He says, yes, madam. It was Vea Flood that led me to Christ. I was that little boy that was allowed to come see your parents and bring them food twice a week. And he said, in fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored and revered in the village by everyone. And he said to her, you must come one day and visit and see for yourself. Your mother is the most famous person uh, in the history of our village. And then in time, eventually, that's exactly what she did. She and her husband, they were able to make the trip out to um, Africa, to the continent of Africa. And they went out there, and they were welcomed by cheers from the villagers. Um, there's a picture. If you, if you Google this on, on, um, on the Internet, you can see the whole story, and you can see the picture of her with um, all the villagers and stuff. And so she's met by these cheering villagers, and the most dramatic Uh, point of the whole trip is when she is led to her mother's grave, that picture that she had saw in um, in that magazine with the white cross with her mother's name on it, and she kneels before the cross and that crude grave, and she says a prayer of thanks and weeps, um, at her mother's grave. I get all choked up. Even when I was reading the story, I was like weeping. Um, and so it's just an amazing, amazing, powerful story about how God uses the suffering. Um, she was pretty much like an orphan, you know, handed from missionary couple to couple. It seemed like every uh, couple that she got sent to, they died and just uh, suffering happened. And this, this is what happens. Um, she did not know it. And as she explained to her own father, 
what you think was evil, God meant for good, and this is what happened. What an amazing, amazing story. This is a true story, and this, um, this is the book. It's Aggie, the inspiring story of a girl without a country. And it was written by her uh, in 1986. Again, it's actually on Amazon. You can uh, even purchase this book. Jesus said in John 16:33, and I will end with this. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16:33. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do take heart, for you have overcome the world. God, while we are here living, God, that we know that there are troubles, hardships, um, afflictions, things that we endure. But, Father, you are oh so worthy, God. And however you choose to use us, however you choose to continue to mold us, conform us into the image and likeness of your son, God. However you continue to prune us, even though it hurts, please don't stop. That you will continue to snip and cut those parts of us that are not bearing fruit so that the other parts of us will be nourished and grow and bear even a richer harvest, God. So, Lord, may we look upon our times of hardships. May we look upon this time of the pandemic and social unrest and political unrest, God. When we look upon conflicts that we're having with among our own family members and our neighbors, community, co-workers about wearing masks and not wearing masks and do this and do that. Father, in the midst of all this, help us to see how you are working all this, God, for your goodness, Lord. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.